Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And welcome back to the Waterball Lake podcast. And my name is Anthony Watson. As ever, I am joined online by Gary Clark. How are you, mate? I'm very well, very well. How are you? I'm good, thank you very much. Yes, a little <laughs> bit flustered. Had to, you know, rush home from work and got locked out. So, bar that, I'm, I'm very well. <laughs> um, and tonight we're joined by a very special guest. Uh, we're going to talk about the Arsenal project, um, or the Arsenal demise, or whatever project we want to call it. Um, it's the host of the Wenger Ball Pod. Um, it is also the, is it in the Mayfield PL League, Ahmed? Is that, is that right? Absolutely. Is that absolutely? <laughs> I'm giving you a big build up there. And um, a panellist from the Football Show kickoff. Um, it is, of course, Ahmed Youssef. So, how are, how are you doing, friend? Very, very well. Thank you for having me. Yeah, no worries at all. Like I say, we're, we're going to discuss Arsenal um, and we might slip in a little bit of Sunderland later on because I know that Sunderland are quite high up in your uh, <laughs> in your hearts there. So, oh, I think I think Arsenal have just scored there, have they? I wondered what that celebration oh, no, was for. Have they scored? I thought it was a two, so no, I think it's still one. Ah, it's still one, though. Still one, <laughs> So, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll go straight into it, obviously. Um... I mean, growing up, Arsenal were probably, obviously, Barcelona were one of my favourite teams to watch. Obviously, Thierry Henry's, you know, Mark Overmars, Patrick Vieira, you know, the Invincibles. Um, absolutely fantastic. I mean, did that, is that what got you into Arsenal, um, Ahmed, or was, has it been from, from birth, really? Um, what basically happened was, and I was telling Gary just a minute ago, um, satellite television came in the mid-90s to Pakistan. And uh, my aunt used to have a satellite television connection. And so the first game that I watched live was actually an Arsenal game. Uh, it was Arsene Wenger's first year. And he was playing Boro. And uh, up top were uh, two gentlemen by the name of Ian Wright 
and Dennis Bergkamp. And they had toned Boro a brand new one, you know, just those two. And it was, I, I, I was hooked. I fell in love with the game, I fell in love with this team, and I fell in love with how they were playing football. And it just, it just deepened, uh, that love for the game, for Arsenal, it just deepened from there. It's all Arsenal Wenger's fault, I swear to you, it's all Arsenal <laughs> I have seen something else, you know, who had sort of romanticized the notion of good football. Uh, it would have been them, but it would not have been Manchester United, because all the bullies in the school playground were Manchester United fans. So, <laughs> that was out. But um, Arsene Wenger, I think was a huge influence, not just on me, but on people who fell in love with the game, both in Asia, in Africa. Uh, this was a time when the game was being globalized. So, I mean, this, the English were, you know, uh, far ahead in terms of, uh, you know, the merchandising, the marketing, the, uh, just selling the game ahead. And they had, they had Fergie, they had Arsene Wenger, they had uh, Gerard Julia at the time, at Liverpool. So you had these big managers who were there and, you know, who were just playing some beautiful football. So yeah. I got, kind of got hooked and, uh, of course, then came in Theory and, you know, Patrick Vieira and the Invincibles come around and then there's this huge pride in seeing what was happening. The other thing was that the bully, the school playground bully was getting boxed in the face. And that was something that really, really spoke to me. So uh, it was the underdog winning. We had a very small stadium, right? Highbury, it was a beautiful, yeah. beautiful stadium. But it was fairly small. So we kind of understood that our size as compared to, say, a Manchester United or a Barcelona or a Real Madrid. You were fairly small in those terms. But in terms of the football being played, that was better than those big boys. So uh, it was pretty much... Uh, I owe a lot of things to Arsene Wenger. My love for football is one of them. My way of uh, viewing how football can, can be a vehicle to improve society, that's another thing. I mean, there's a lot to unpack when we get into Arsene Wenger, but I think that man is, is responsible for a lot of Arsenal global fandom uh, that we see today. Yeah, I mean, obviously Arsene Wenger managed Arsenal for the end of 20 years, didn't he? And, and he left around about four or five years ago now. It, and it's fair to say, Gary, like, it hasn't gone well since Arsene Wenger's gone. Now, a few things that can be put into context with it is possibly the move from Highbury to the Emirates, which cost a hell of a lot of money. You know, the Emirates cost so much money to make. It's a beautiful stadium. Um, but Arsenal seem to, especially in the last two or three years especially, have gone quite backwards and a lot of teams have overtaken them now. You look at the likes, obviously, Liverpool, uh, Chelsea, you know, Spurs, I hate to say it there, I've read, but Spurs, Manchester United have, have seemed to have gone into trying to sign the better players, whereas Arsenal are still trying to do this build from within, build from the youth kind of thing, which kind of isn't working anymore. But, Gary, where do you see the nucleus of where it started to go wrong for Arsenal, really? You know what, I think it's started to go wrong, in all honesty, since the move to the Emirates. And the reason being mm. for that is because financially, they've moved to this absolute multi, multi-million pound complex, which is a beautiful stadium. And, you know, with that comes the fact that we've moved into the stadium. 
at the time it is one of the best stadiums in the world um at its peak when it came in now they have to think financially we have to remold this team we can't go and spend 40 50 million on four players and uh, that's not how they can do things no more so you if you look at how they their transfer policy it was very rare that you saw them in the early stages of the emirates buy a big blockbuster player i think maybe a bamiyang was one of them uh was was our shaven before uh the emirates i can't remember i think i think it was on the tail end of it maybe our shaven was a big move for them at that point um but you know that like you go to arsene wenger and arsene wenger is one of the best coaches that i'll ever see in my lifetime um and what he did on a budget let's be honest it was a budget players like perez Yunberg. A player that always goes under the radar for me, Gilberto Silva. Absolutely love Gilberto Silva. Um, yeah. You look at those players, Emmanuel Petit, you know, like so many good players in that team. That's why the, they were the Invincibles. And now you're going into a realm where even though there's more money in the game, uh, maybe there's a bit of greed on the part of the Cronkies. Um, and they're not really investing as much money into the team as they possibly could. And they are looking to maybe get one big name player, then normally roll with something like for over a year where they'll take a couple of loans, or you know, like for example, Danny Sabalos last year. Um, and they'll just try and build up the sales and you know, try and profiteer from shirt sales and merchandise and then sponsorship. Um, and I think, in all honesty, that's where it started to go wrong when the finances really got involved. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Ahmed, I'll ask you this question because obviously you, you're based in Karachi in Pakistan now. You, you did mention this thing of obviously when this when Sky came in and the brand of the Premier League, you know, got all the way around the world. Now, do you kind of think with with the Cronkies now? Was I mean, everywhere you kind of go across the world, you see in the likes of you know the the Man United strips, the Arsenal strips, which are still getting sold, you know, by the millions. Do you think the Cronkies have kind of taken, kind of? That has been their priority of the money making exercise, and not of the players on and off on on the pitch. Really trying to improve the the name on the pitch, rather it being off the pitch, making them a brand across the world. But then that's kind of said, well, yeah, but the players on the pitch aren't doing the job anymore. If you know what I mean by that. I'm just going to rewind this a little bit, and I'm going yeah. to uh, just question the notion of what a club is. Um, so, in my conception and in the 20 odd years of Arsene Wenger, a club was always a social institution before mm-hmm. he Right? It is a place where football is played, sure. But it is also a place where friendships are made, where uh, the community comes together, where the community takes up causes because of the club. So, for example, the soup kitchen that happened during the pandemic in Sunderland which was backed by the club, by fan groups, by this, that, and the other, that makes a club. That is a social yeah. Correct? Yeah, certainly. Yeah. I mean, I, I was... The other podcast that I do was a massive part of that, and, you know, I got well involved in it, and, yeah, I fully agree with that, yeah. yeah. Arsenal lost their social institution functions after the move to the Emirates. Yes. And by the time the Cronkies kind of took over complete control, they removed any kind of remaining vestiges of, of, of that particular function. Now, when you remove the club's function as a social institution, it is only going to be a corporate, you know, of a, a corporate devil, really. I mean, look at what happened during the pandemic. Pandemic, where 
people were losing their jobs. The pandemic where they did not have food to put on the plate. The pandemic where people lost the roof over their heads. Yeah. In that time, the Cronkies made cuts to jobs. Mm-hmm. Not because they couldn't afford it. They could certainly damn well afford it if you were spending six months later, if you're spending $150 million. They could damn well have afforded those salaries. They did yeah. not need to fire those people. The cost cutting could have happened if the cost cutting was needed. It could have happened after the pandemic, after their personal, people's personal finances were kind of taken care of. That did not happen. But the, the, the loss of these functions, the social institution, it goes into into much larger territory, right? It's not just about Arsenal kind of, you know, feeding scraps to children. No, 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 no. It's not about that. It's about the fact that Arsenal are are no longer if you are no longer interested in, in taking a stand on racism, for example. There was a time when Arsenal Benga would would bring in black players and say these people are good enough to play with the white players. Whether that was from London, and you know, when London you have a huge talent pool of black girls, or whether that was from France, or whether that was from Africa. Arsenal Wenger would bring these players, and even before Arsenal Wenger, Arsenal have had a tradition of taking up these issues. Rocky Roke Arsenal, one of the most brilliant players ever in, in English football, comes from Arsenal. Where's the written white? He tells us, you know, remember what this badge is, remember who you are, what you represent. Right? So these are the things that Arsenal slowly but surely have lost. And now what we find really is, is this situation in which we are trying to keep up appearances. We are trying to say that we are good people and we are trying to say we are force of thought. But really when you when you start excavating these layers, you kind of figure out that it's all on the surface, right? We've lost the substance. That I think is is why the downfall has started. Removing yeah. the social institution functions. I would yeah, stopping like the family kind of thing, the family club, this, that, and the other, which you need, especially. I, I mean, I think quite a lot of Premier League clubs have lost that because I do believe there's, there's far too much money in the Premier League now, you know, with with obviously the broadcasting rights, shirt sales, and everything like that. I think a lot of clubs have done that. I think a lot of clubs have lost them, especially the big six kind of thing, you know. I mean, this. Um, what this what what was it called again, Gary? This uh, European Football League that oh, was right. you know that was gonna yeah. you know save football, and all that's just all that for me just ruined you know uh, the family style all the like you know the public style of football really because all that was in was just money. What well, they didn't give a, a damn about the fans, did they? You know what I mean? But hey, you also have a Leicester City, right? You have a Leicester mm-hmm. City with a foreign owner, but who is very vested in the development of the local community. Yeah. yeah, you have, for example, I mean, I was so impressed when I read that Brendan Rogers, he wanted in his in his interviews, the club interviews, he wanted somebody to do sign language as well, so that they could make it more inclusive for supporters who who could, who, who could not hear, right? Mm-hmm. That that was a huge thing, right? That that tells you that the club is is, is vested in people's well-being, right? I mean, if I were to choose a second club in the Premier League today. Or even if I want to choose a club to fall in love with in the Premier League today, Leicester City would be very high up in that list simply because yeah. of what they are doing with their money, with their status, with their position. That's a huge thing that they are bringing to Leicester, right? Yeah. So that Crystal Palace, small club, 
not in, in terms of size, very small club, but the new development pro program is actually going into those colonies and into those residential areas where you're going to find black kids, very impoverished, coming from very, very poor backgrounds who don't have food to eat, uh, but they're very good footballers. They're going into those clubs, the, uh, those areas, those localities to find out. Right? Yeah. Arsenal, at a certain point in time, used to do that. And, and one of my biggest sadnesses in life is that as soon as Arsenal Wenger stepped out of this club, we stopped doing any of that. Yeah, we'll go. We'll go into a lot more about Arsenal Wenger now, Gary. Because I mean, like I say, as you've just said, they're one of the best coaches the Premier League will ever see. One of the best managers, and for me, one of the best men. You know, because he was so yeah, he had his feud with with uh, Alex Ferguson and everything like that. But he was also very humble and everything like that. I mean, when he left, literally probably two or three years beforehand, you were seeing Arsenal fans with the Wenger out and all this slogan. And, you know, it was a there was a little bit of inevitability about it. And it was quite sad, I think, for a manager who's done so much for a club to kind of get that, really. I thought that was, you know, you never saw that at Manchester United, no matter how, you know, poor they were. You never saw that with Ferguson. I doubt you'll see that at Liverpool whenever Klopp decides he wants to go. And But is it a kind of what's happened now with Arsenal? Be careful what you wish for. We've seen Unai Nemery come in, didn't do the job, you know, didn't really particularly do the job. We're seeing Arteta really struggling now. Is, is it basically just be careful what you wish for as a football fan? Uh, yes, pretty much. In in all honesty, yeah. I mean, obviously, we 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 talk about this all the time. Now, the football is a results driven basis. Uh, results driven game. Sorry. Um, at the end of the day, the the Arsenal fan base, with a move to a big stadium like the Emirates, would naturally, as you would expect more. You would expect to be top four, top three, top two, challenging for the title, getting to the quarters, getting to the semis of the Champions League. And unfortunately, by hook or by crook, that just simply wasn't happening. Um, and I think, obviously, the, the target is either it's the players or it's the manager. Because ultimately, if the someone's going to go, it's going to be the manager or it's going to be the players who just simply aren't good enough. And I think that's maybe where that all came from. And maybe, you know, maybe people thought maybe Wenger's time was done. Which I, I I don't agree with. I think like I like I said earlier, he's one of the best coaches of my lifetime. Um, absolutely loved him. Um, you look at the players who we who we signed in the past, such as Mark Wolfmars, Emmanuel Petit, um, Rob Perez, Freddie Youngberg, as I mentioned, and he just turned them into brilliant, brilliant players. You know, and you know he he was Arsenal manager up until two thousand eighteen, and he was competing with people like Roman Abramovich's Chelsea. Manchester City with a shoot pretty much nowhere near the budget of what they had. Yet he still found these these young players, you know, from all over the world. Sask Fabregas, exact like one of the best players in the world at one point. He found found these players and he was just he gives so much to the Arsenal club, to the brand, to the worldwide persona that is Arsenal FC. And I just think because of they had this unbelievable stadium that we're expecting to be winning the league again, challenging Champions League, and I just think maybe the fans, the club, maybe wanted more. And like you said, with Emery and with Arteta, it just hasn't worked out as of yet. I don't necessarily think Unai Emery is a bad manager because he's done brilliant with Villarreal. He's won the 
uh, Euro Cup beating Man United last year or this year, sorry. Um, yeah, and Arsenal on the way as well, didn't he? Yeah, Very and, confident yeah, Arsenal on the and way Arsenal. There. <laughs> um, I just think that there was a big question mark over why they spent 70-odd million on Pepe, and I think maybe for him that was his downfall. I'm not saying Nicola Pepe is a bad player, but that's a lot of money, and that's not the money that Arsene Wenger or even the Arsenal board is used to spending. Yeah, yeah. Um, I read what basically on when Arsene Wenger left, you know, he's he's got this you know reputation of you know Gary's literally hit the nail on the head. You know, Cesc Fabregas and Nicola Manelka, Robin van Persie, players who you probably didn't know, but then massively knew. You know, he, and he moulded them into fantastic players. You know, I mean, like like I said, Fabregas is probably one of the best players ever to play in the Premier League. He's such a such a cultured player, and then it kind of seemed to have changed where Arsenal wanted to sign the big the big name player, you know, Pepe's just been mentioned, and Mesut Ozil, which, you know, possibly didn't quite work out, Aubameyang, you know, it kind of changed, the philosophy changed, really. Um, did you think that was down to him, or was that down to the change of ownership and the Cronkies wanting to please the fans more with the big money signings? Well, a man who can give Emmanuel Pepe money career? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So... Now, the players that he got and the prices at which he got those players for, um, he was obsessed with value. So he was mm-hmm. obsessed with the fact that will Mesut Ozil at 42.5 million or whatever it was, will he give me that value? The answer was yes. Will Santi Cazola at 20 million give me value? The answer was yes. Will Alexis Sanchez at around 40, 50 million, will he give me value? The answer was yes. Arsene Wenger did not go for Obama Yang, but he went for Lacazette because he thought that was better value. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The downfall starts coming in when, when we realize, when we, or rather, we did not realize that Arsene Wenger simultaneously was the manager of the club, he was the chief selector, he was the technical director, he was uh, the chief data analyst the chief sports scientist, the chief medical officer, everything. And when you take Arsene Wenger away from the club, there are eight or nine new roles that you need to create and bring the most competent people to occupy those roles. Mm-hmm. What we did was, right after Arsene Wenger left, there was a power vacuum because Ivan uh, Gazadis was, uh, was the CEO went to Milan as a shareholder, (laughs) not even as as the CEO, but as a shareholder. So he jumped off the ship, and in came this guy from Barcelona, Mr. Raul Senei, who was kicked out of Barcelona on corruption charges, but was brought to Arsenal to tell us how to build a Barcelona. I mean, that was ridiculous. There was a power vacuum there, and this this politician, Raul Senei, he makes his move, he kicks out the, the director of, or the guy that we thought would be the director of football, the guy who had the contacts in grassroots football all over the world, a man by the name of uh, Sivan Mislintat, who was coming from Germany, who was coming from Dortmund. He was the guy who built the Dortmund team at a very, very low price. So he knew what to do. We kicked him out. He said, you know, to hell with you. What we'll do is we will utilize our Asian contacts. And we have this huge ass book of Asian contacts, and they have all these nice 
of agents there and they have these big name players and we will rely on big players you know we are a big club so we need to show some big tech energy and just you know, splash it all around that was not the way to rebuild that was the most toxic and the most useless way that you could have corrupted what they did was right after us and they left they took apart his midfield when you take apart that midfield there was no aaron ramsey there uh mesut uh, was being sidelined uh, they had taken away all the technical quality so uh, thomas rozetsky had left or uh, jack wilshire had left they took away everything but they failed to reproduce any of that quality from anywhere else yeah the yeah. story you know that's him he's a very nice player very i, I really like him but he's not the same quality as say an aaron ramsey right Oh, uh, good player, very good player, and he's developing into into a very interesting player. But at the same time, as you guys rightly said, not worth seventy-two million in that market. He was a twenty million player. Yeah. Now, Arsene Wenger would have said no deal. Arsene Wenger kept Kia Jarabshin out of Arsenal for as long as he could. Arsene Wenger did not let George Mendes enter Arsenal for as long as he could. Why? Because he thought that these guys, their dealings were not proper. Yeah, and they they maybe uh, throw you a good player, but then ask you to take three or four extras. So, for example, we got Nicolas Pepe in, but he also got uh, uh, Cedric Suarez. Was a limited player. He is not an Arsenal level player. Was yeah. on the way out from a Southampton team. From a Southampton team, not even a Chelsea team or a United team. Was on his way out of there. He was brought in as the replacement for Hector Bellerin, for God's sakes. Right? I mean, this is just one aspect that we're talking about. It's a holistic thing, right? It starts from the technical director saying, "Well, we've identified this player. What does the head coach think?" And the head coach then says, "Well, bring him or not. This is, you know, these are the advantages. These are the disadvantages. Let's see how it goes." Right? But then it was didn't ask for anything. We just brought him in, injured player. We signed him. And they said, you know, we we look at you later on. We got a billion simply because Kia Jarabshin was in there. Yeah. Now Kia Jarabshin, if you remember, is the same guy who brought uh, Javier Mascarano and Carlos Tevez to England. And at the time, if, uh, there was no internet and no social media and blah blah. By the time we had read the next morning that Arsenal had pulled out of deal because Kia Jarabshin had. given us Tevez and Mascarano to to sign but the ownership structures were not right for both those players and they needed to be sorted out before a transfer could be made so Kiaju Rapshin took both those players to West Ham and West Ham signed them both and if you remember Vegan had a huge thing about Carlos Tevez's registration which was not legal which was not proper and Carlos Tevez causing them relegation Yeah, the day in the day he went out because of it, didn't it? Because the 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 big Man United didn't on the last day of the season it sent Sheffield United down. It was a a huge. I remember that it was a huge court of arbitration about it, wasn't it? Yeah. Oh, sorry, it was Sheffield. Yeah, sorry, exactly. Yeah. Sheffield United went down, right? And 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 they said Carlos Tevez caused this. Mm-hmm. And there was a huge thing. Uh, this is the history of these men, and they haven't changed. Yeah. They haven't changed because this is what brings them money. Yeah. Right. But Arsenal changed. Arsenal brought them out in. Arsenal embraced them. Arsenal said, "Come on, let's go big." Yeah, and 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 let's do. 
So it was it's a combination of things. You can't just blame Arteta for those things. You can't blame Menonahi Emery for those things. The the blame lies at, at, at the doorstep of the man or, or, or of the management, not at the manager. The yeah. club management, the club administration, the owners in particular. You know, there's an absentee owner who's right there and who's saying, well, you know, I've installed my people there because they are the best people trying to do the best jobs. Well, number one, they were not the best people. Number two, even if you have the best people there, you need to be there. You need to turn up every morning to say, this is my club. I need you to be at 200% every goddamn day. Right? When, when the owner is not there, then you have Raul Senyei doing whatever you want, he wants to do. That's where Do you think that they've kind of got used to mediocrity as the, the normal now for, for Arsenal, the, the ownership and, and everything like that? Do you think it's just they don't particularly care anymore? It's, uh, if you read today, the, the, the Qatar, uh, the family, the, the owners of PSG, they started saying that we're interested in acquiring Arsenal. Because the Qataris and the Rwandan government, uh, they are not happy with how things are being run. And their, uh, you know, the, the Rwandan government in particular, they are sleeve sponsors for Arsenal. And the president tweeted that, well, this kind of mediocrity is not acceptable. The Rwandan government president is tweeting that about Arsenal football. Um, in this window, there were two tasks. One task was that last season we saw that the quality between the first 11 and the backups, uh, whoever they were, it was really huge, the, the, the difference in quality. So you had to get better backups, which was number one. Number two, what you had to do was to add better star quality in key positions. Um, what we did was we splashed around 150 million on the first task, which was to get better backups. Mm -hmm. We did not improve the first team. So in terms of the first team, we stood still. And that's a huge error. Because, yeah. um, you know, the football has been around for a long, long time. And the old adage that whatever you do in the summers will set up your season. If you remember our season, Sunderland season, when we were relegated, that summer was horrible. Yeah. Yeah. yeah? Because we could not sign Jan Amdea who was our first choice target. Yunus uh, Kapoor left knowing that yeah. this is going to be shit. Um, <laughs> people, <laughs> I like it. Was, was a very young, uh, well, young kid from Manchester United. Yeah, it was um, Donald Love and Paddy McNair. Yes, right. right. And, and uh, uh, Denier from Manchester City. Yeah, yeah. Six of, of, of the rebuild. Right now, that somewhat defines Sunderland's season. They were going to be relegated, whatever you. Right, that that it was it was clear right from the get go um, that that he that the club had set up for a relegation, and in fact, the next summer they had also set up for another relegation. Right, so yeah. in, in, it's very clear to me, at least, that this season we're not going to progress much. Yes, there is going to be progress in terms of developing young players. So, a Bukayo Saka might, you know, mature a little more. He will evolve. But Emil Smith-Rowe will mature, will have another year under his belt. You have a, a young Sambi Lukonga, 
he will mature, he'll have a better time. Uh, a white who will have a better time, he'll, he'll, he'll get used to a, to an arsenal. Um, we have Ramsdale who's come in, etc., etc. Now, you can say that, well, this is a huge benefit as these people are playing, getting playing time and getting to play as a team. Now, that is one thing. But whether Arsenal as a club have progressed, that's a completely different question. And the answer to that is absolutely no. Absolutely yeah. no. You can put out these pictures saying, look, we are a team, we are a family, we are this, we are that. But at the end of the day, the supporters are not mad. They're seeing what's happening. I think the worrying thing for, for me, Gary, is uh, we talked this on our podcast a couple of weeks ago. In fact, it was last week. Um, Arsenal started off this season away to Brentford and... Normally, this normally what about five six years ago? Brentford beat Arsenal two nil on the opening day of the season would be seen as one of them, one of the big big stories of of the season. To be honest, you know, it'd be a massive shock, and I wasn't particularly shocked at all. I thought Brentford were, were going to win the game, and that's the sad thing I think about Arsenal at the moment. You know, you see in this club that once you know the Invincibles of if you know ever so long ago. And now in such a, a position now where, where I know we're only two games in the season, but they're in the relegation zone. You look at Romelu Lukaku on Sunday, who absolutely bullied Arsenal's defence. And it was it was quite easy for Chelsea to win that game. They were very comfortable. And that's a local derby. And that's what I'm saying at the minute is so sad. I mean, I don't put any... I don't put much blame on Arteta. I think Arteta's doing a very good job in a bad, bad circumstance. But what are you seeing, Gary, now this season for Arsenal? What would you say is a, a plus? Is it is qualifying for Europe a top 10? You know, where do you think they'll be at the end of the season? Because I, I would be worried if I... I said this last week, I'd be very worried if I was an Arsenal fan, especially when they're, they're forking out this money for, for Ramsdale, who's probably not going to be number one. And that's For me, that's a bit of a waste of money that could be spent elsewhere to improve you know, maybe in a tapping sense or another defender, so to speak. Yeah, I think um, the the best thing that maybe the Arsenal fan base can hope for is that the project is positive. I wouldn't say they're going to get European qualification and I like I can see the project with the building and I'm, like, it's a project that personally, from a personal perspective, I like the idea of. It's homegrown players that are coming through um, which is what we need to focus on academies and you know like I, I remember saying this over a year ago like I don't I don't not rate Arteta as a manager I just think he was not ready for that job I love the project which he wants to work on players like Emmy Smith Rowe Florian Balogun Bakayo Saka Kieran Tierney um, he wants to bring in these young talents and he wants to build a young team for years to come and eventually turn them into the, the let's say the the young invincible, so to speak. I don't honestly think Arteta has enough experience to do that right now. I love the project and I love the idea of what he wants to do, but I think it's just too much right now. I don't understand why they've brought in Aaron Aaron Ramsdale and got rid of Emmy Martinez. They've they've actually yeah. overpaid by eight million pounds when they had a goalkeeper who was good enough to be number one, and also. Aaron Ramsdale is going to come in and like you said there, he might not even be number one. What about Bert Leno's wage? He'll be on absolutely loads. If Ramsdale's coming in as number one, Leno's sitting on the bench taking a brilliant wage or vice versa. When it comes to Brentford, we talked about this game 2-0. Simply put, I do think that was a managerial mistake. 
because I think he took them lightly. He put Saka on the bench, which was probably a good thing, given what happened in the, the Euros. But putting Balogun up front and bringing in Sambi Lekonga, who's never played in the English game before, you know, Sambi Lekonga didn't really, to me, he didn't look like he was he was fitting in with the way they want to play. And unfortunately, as far as Thomas Partey goes, he's always injured. And I really like Thomas yeah. Partey as a player. And Ben White just didn't look great. Granted, it's his first game, but I don't see Pablo Mari as a defensive partnership for him. Um, and I just thought they looked totally off the pace. And I think any result... Win, lose, or draw for Arsenal this season may not be a surprising one. That the the biggest thing that can come out of there here is seeing players such as Ramsdale, um, Bakayo Saka, Balogun, uh, Emmy Smith Rowe, Ashley Maitland Niles, Reese Nelson, all those players come on and actually stake a claim for the first team maybe next season and maybe make a make a claim for England national team. That'll be the biggest plus yeah. that they should really get out this season, but you know that the board are silent stan as we say because he's never he never has an input and that is his actual nickname um he'll <laughs> want immediate success so he's probably now i mean granted arsenal are winning 3-0 and nicola pepe has scored which i was quite surprised by when i looked at that i was like oh we've just been talking about him for the last 10 minutes he's not scored um when you look at that like people like kse the Cronky company they're gonna want immediate success and if Arteta doesn't get it. Unfortunately, they're gonna go for someone else who might be Antonio Conte, depending on how he gets yeah. on the first ten games. Ahmed, is a question for you because I'm not overly confident Arteta's got much say, even though he's he's the manager of the club. Is you looking at, at, at what Arteta was was brought in to do? What he was doing at Man City, you know, developing the youth under for, for Pep Guardiola to come up, you know, the likes of Ford and um, who, you know, Arteta had a lot to do with um, Delap, Liam Delap, who looks a very good player as well. Um, he's obviously tried to do the same in Arsenal. We're looking at Emil Smith-Rowe, I think he's a fantastic player, you know, Saga. But then you're seeing Arsenal signing um, Odegaard, who plays in exactly the same position as Emil Smith-Rowe. Eddie Nketiah, who's been there for a long time, subject of a bid from Crystal Palace. Danny Willock has left to join Newcastle. I think Danny Willock could have done a job in the no, Arsenal team. No so do you think Arteta's kind of he's he's kind of not got much say. He's picking the team, but he's not necessarily picking the players who are coming in, but like the signings or anything like that. It's kind of Edu who's doing that, and I think Edu's transfer policy has been very questionable over the last couple of years. Okay, so there's a lot to unpack there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I ask I ask long questions. I am sorry. <laughs> Okay, so first off, there is one gentleman by the name of Freddie Lundberg that a lot of people forget. Was at Arsenal when Mikel Arteta started. My theory is that there was a lot of things that Freddie Freddie was sorting out for Mikel in the sense that Freddie was to Mikel what Mikel was to Pep. Right? So, and on the back of that relationship comes off or... Even if there wasn't a relationship, there was certainly some kind of working relationship there. But on the back of that partnership comes off the FA Cup win and potentially the Community Shield win. Yeah. The minute Freddie Leonberg steps out is when the other bits start happening, right? So the Reese Nelsons of this world are going like, what the hell is happening? Why am I not playing? And why is this Villian, a Finnish Villian, stepping in to take my place, where, whereas those minutes were mine? I completely forgot about William, yeah. Completely forgot about that. <laughs> Complete waste of w- wages, isn't it? Absolutely I awful. Everything. 
Mm-hmm. Now, similarly, when you when you kind of look at a uh, 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 Bullock or an Inzimate Niles or a William Saliba, now come on, please tell me that you see the difference between a William Saliba and a Rob Holding and Pablo Marie and you know so on and so forth. I mean, if you've seen the French league, then you know that William Saliba is a far superior defender. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Something is happening behind the scenes that Freddie was doing, which which no longer exists. And therefore, what you're seeing is a lot of squad unrest. What you're seeing is you know the club becoming a party to to disputes with players. Right? This was not happening when Freddie was here. I mean, Freddie got off at probably the right time. Freddie said, well, I have nothing more to do. I've, I've won a cup with them. I have nothing more to do with it. You know, I want to be my own manager. What we realized, or at least what I realized later on, was that Mikel Arteta is primed to be a director of football more than he is to be a manager of a club. Had Mikel Arteta been making these squad decisions, I would have trusted that. I would have said, yeah. you know, this guy knows how to identify talent, fine, I'll take that. Right? What I cannot uh, uh, absorb, even today, is that for a team which was lacking creativity, that team removed Mesut Ozil, one of mm-hmm. the all-time greatest pass makers, yeah? to put in a billion for God's sake. Right? Uh, uh, Throughout that time, you told us that a number 10 uh, uh, was not necessary for boy anymore. And I, I I will also happily accept that even I bought that. Because at the time, even Messi was, was shunted out to the wings just because they did not want to play through the center. There was a trend across world football. And I was... But in comes the number 10 again. Uh, you know, Pep brings a number 10 back, you know, others bring a number 10 back, and suddenly the number 10 is alive again. Suddenly, Emile Smith-Rowe, who's, you know, saving your ass, now is an actual number 10 for Arsenal, right? Um, there's no harm in having more than one number 10 at your club. So, for example, mm-hmm. Arsene Wenger had, at the same time, Arsene Wenger had Ozil, Wilshere, Zizewski, uh, uh Aaron Ramsey, they had a lot of number 10s to And the idea used to be, it was, you know, throw all the good brands in, you know, they'll figure it out during the game. I mean, I'm overly simplifying this, but, you know, that was the TLDR version of it. Uh, but they could play together, they can still play together. My feeling is that uh, he's gotten the right squad number, Odegaard. Martin Odegaard has gotten the right squad number. I think he will be a long-term eight for Arsenal rather than 10. Yeah, yeah. My, my feeling right. Yeah. Have I got all your questions? <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that's absolutely <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So, well, well, I'll have one last question for the for the pair of you. You can both answer this one, and then we'll, we'll talk about another club in absolute misery. <laughs> <laughs> first first one, um, in fact, actually, um, Ant-Man, I'm going to ask a couple of questions for you about Arsenal anyway. Um, how many have, have you been to many games? Um, and which one was your favourite, your, your favourite live game? I've never been to London, my friend. Never <laughs> been to London, all right. So we'll go uh, for... We'll, we'll... So I can tell you that we, a lot of us have been to London and been to, those, mm-hmm. uh, been to the stadium, had that experience. Um, 
and I can tell you that a lot of people in Pakistan, in India, in Bangladesh, in Nepal, in African countries, Ghana, Nigeria, this, that, and the other, you have people at, you know, 12 in the morning, midnight, um, getting together to have, to just watch the game. Yeah, yeah, that's how you've been there. <laughs> it's still got an atmosphere, isn't it? The end of the day, it's about the atmosphere. It is. I mean, our city is called the City of Lights. It never sleeps. But you get there at, you know, 12, you're staying there till, you know, 2 in the morning, you're having your drinks, you're having your other vices. Everything goes. Um, everything is happening, and, and you're talking about the game, you're talking about those kinds of experiences. So there are a lot of, even on the internet now, even on Twitter, what you'll find is a lot of subcultures. So, for example, yeah. Pakistani Arsenal Twitter has a, another another subculture. Indian Twitter has its own, you know, footballing subculture. The Nigerians have their own thing. You know, the Ghanians have their own thing. The Kenyans have their own thing. Uh, the Moroccans have their own thing. So there are a lot of subcultures that are kind of sharing those experiences of never having been to the stadium and yet being so passionate and so opinionated about about their their clubs and what's happening. Yeah. And, that's that's fine. That's absolutely fine. Who who, who was your favourite all-time Arsenal player then? I know there's a lot to choose from. Okay, so three gentlemen: uh, Mr. Thierry Henry, Mr. Dennis Bergkamp, uh, and Mesut Özil. And honourable mentions to Patrick Vieira and uh, Robert Perez. So I can tell you a story actually as being a sudden fan about Thierry Henry. Um, this would have been right maybe towards the end of his first spell and um we were i think we'd either got relegated or we were close to being relegated and it was one of the last games of the season now Henri comes scores a hat trick was absolutely amazing probably the best player i've ever seen in the stadium of life bar possibly hazard or aguero in recent years and it gets subbed off with about three minutes to go and the whole stadium this is like this is at the stadium of light the whole stadium's up applauding Henri. And then about whenever he came back, he came back to need to Arsenal and he was warming up down the touchline. And he was like, this was like, a, you know, an Arsenal player. And the Sunderland fans, when he was warming up, were standing up and applauding him. So he gave a little applaud. I mean, the bastard came on and scored for Arsenal. He scored a winning goal. <laughs> but I'll just, I'll always remember that about Henri because he, he he did mention it in like in a, either a newspaper article or he mentioned it to uh, Dave Jones, who's a Sky presenter, who happens to be a Sunderland supporter. And I've just always had this kind of like, love for Henri on and off the pitch. You know, I've always, you know, respected him as a as a player, as a pundit. You know, I think he talks a lot of sense. Um, but my final question to you then, um, Ahmed, about um, Arsenal, and I will ask Gary this, where do you think they'll finish this season? Uh, 9th to 12th. 9th to 12th. Gary, same question, mate. Well, firstly, I want to just go back. You're saying Henri's one of the best players you've seen at the Stadium of Light. I would say Nairon Nosworthy might have something to say about that because Nairon Nosworthy <laughs> is a brilliant talent. <laughs> and I love the fact that that's got his hand over his face when I said that. Oh, Nugsy, I love you. Nugsy, if you are listening, man, honestly, you're a legend. You know, you just played a very good football, but you were still an absolute <laughs> legend. No, but... Uh, I, lo I love Nugsy, so I'm not, I'm not saying anything bad about him. Oh, he was a legend, <laughs> absolute legend. But no, um, in regards to Arsenal, where do I see them finish? I think I'm with Ahmed there, to be fair, and I think 9th to 12th would be, to me, that would be a positive. They need to work and they need to build on the project, going with the homegrown talents, because I really, honestly, I would back that project 100%. Um... 
the, I mean, will Arteta be in charge at the end of the season? Honestly, no, I don't think he will be. I think by Christmas there will be someone else coming in. And I think, honestly... <laughs> sorry? Mr. Graham Potter should make his debut at Arsenal soon. Yeah. yeah. I think Potter is the right. Yeah. Um, but I think 9th to 12th is probably going to be realistic. That's going to be a win for them at the end of the, at the, end of the season. You know, two, three, four seasons uh, in the future, you know, if they give time to the young kids, they could be in top six again, top four even. But ninth mm-hmm. to twelfth is probably a win. Yeah, cool, cool, spot on. So, I mean, that's Arsenal done. Um, I mean, I've, I've met basically, when, I mean, we started talking on Twitter a few, a few weeks ago, didn't we? And I just find it amazing how a, a guy out in, in Pakistan has got a, a, an affection for Sunderland. So can you can you quite quickly go through that then? And um, why all of a sudden is a, is a League One team uh, up there as one of your favourite favorite teams you support? <laughs> it's the red and white, my friend. It's the red and white. Uh, I would always look out for Sunderland results uh, when I was when Sunderland was in the Premier League. Um, it was a team that you know was interesting. So you were always kind of vested in their survival uh, battle. We, we, if you remember that time, there were there were a couple of well, there was a bunch of teams who were always in the relegation battle. So there was Sunderland, there would be Newcastle when they were not relegated. <laughs> there was a vegan, um, there was a West Ham, you know, there, there was the there was a bunch, right? And and always every year you would be like, yes, now we are on that run. Now this team is going to survive. You know, fingers crossed, Sunderland is going to survive. It happened year and year, year after year. After they kind of got relegated, I. I would look out for the results, but I was not as uh, interested. And then came the documentary. Mm. And the documentary kind of opened up all of the misfortune that had happened. Right? Now, this is a working class club. My politics are also, uh, my personal politics are also about working class. Um, And this is a working class club. And all all of a sudden, it was just like, hang on, what the hell is that? Right? This is a bloody huge institution. Right, this is one of the biggest clubs of England. What is going on? Yeah. Right, this is this is a club. Forget the Arsenal's of this world, but this is a club that was in the top tier, at the top of the top tier for years. Right, we might not remember it. We were not born there, but this is an institution. This is a footballing institution. So what's happening there? What's gone wrong? And then you know, thanks to the internet, I found nice streams to catch up with the games uh thanks to you guys at joker report uh i caught up on a lot of things um there's another uh, amazing podcast called speak sudden um mm-hmm. they have back in the middle uh, i think that's the club's that. actual yeah, official podcast official one, as well, isn't it? It's, it is a very good podcast that one yeah so uh, we have Bowers there. Bowers is there. Bow- Bowers I love as well. Uh, oh then, yeah, he's he's SCFC fans TV. Michael Bowers, yeah, he's a good lad. Yeah, a good lad. And and then I kind of understood the community aspect of it, and that was something that I was looking for, right? And Arsenal, had, I was not being able to find it at Arsenal. There was an yeah. existential vacuum that was that had been created, and suddenly Sunderland just kind of rushed, in. and you know. As they say, uh, wise men say, <laughs> only fools rush in. So, <laughs> uh, the fool rushed in. Uh, 
and Sunderland officially became my second team. Yeah, it's it's actually true. I mean, you can't. I mean, I've tried. I tried under the the, the second relegation. Um, I tried to walk away, and, and I hated myself for doing it. I missed the last six games or something like that, and then literally when League One happened. The first game of League One, I was back there with my dad. You know what I mean? It's like, it's it's very rare. Like, obviously, I'm 35 year old, and you know, I've got job and everything like that. And the, the times I do see my dad is on a Saturday going to watch the football and I won't move and you know I won't move seats I won't do anything like that um, I mean obviously I mean Gary, Gary blessing me was in the hospitality trade for uh, before the pandemic hit and this was Saturday gone was Gary's first game back for what five six years mate or, or, or something like that years, and, I mean, right. and did you enjoy yourself did you enjoy being back absolutely loved it and do you know what like I had a, even though, like, uh, I went with, like, people who I knew, uh, my seat was in a different place to everyone else, and, like, you took a picture of us, and, like, I was just sitting there, and, like, I was just enjoying my own company, analysing the game, watching players such as Daniel Neal, um, (laughs) and, like, Carl Winchester, yeah, Dan Neal, I'm joking, Dan, Dan Neal, Carl Winchester, and stuff, like, players who, like, a relative unknowns and stuff and it was just really good to like be there as well as like be surrounded like like the east stand was packed absolutely packed um, and just have that great support and leave one was unbelievable and like you said there i've worked in hospitality for 10 years like i haven't been to a saturday game five six seven years because i used to work seven seven ten eight twelve nine twelve close just never ever had the time to do so so like to finally get back to the stadium like like and and see like how great the support is for for the club, which obviously, you know, we've had a fall from grace over the last seven years, um, is just fantastic, and it, it all comes down to the fans and like the uh, you know, the the saying goes as far as northeast support goes, it's it's one of the best support in the country, and one hundred percent when I was at the stadium, you you can see that like we you, you we've got the highest attendance in League One, it's brilliant to see. And, and, you know, yeah. things are looking up in regards to this season as well. Like, I like the players we've signed. Again, Lee Johnson, I like the product that him and Speakman are working on. You know, getting these young kids from Premier League teams who have had brilliant training, brilliant conditioning coaches, you know, people who are going to build their game. You know, we've done this years ago when we had players such as Johnny Evans and Stuart Downing. We, we're getting back to that realm where we're going to develop these young kids. And, like, I'm excited for this season to see where it goes. I'm debating whether or not to buy a season ticket, to be fair, like, but I haven't yeah. thought better that yet. Uh, Ahmed, well, I mean, obviously, we'll um, we'll let you go soon, because obviously I know it's it's quite late over there, and I, I don't want to interrupt your sleep, but um, obviously Arsenal tonight um, are winning, and hopefully are going to get through to the next round of the Cup. But say the Cup draw happens tonight, and... Arsenal managed to draw Sunderland. Who will you be supporting? Are you going to do halfy half, or is it just going to be with Arsenal? Do you think? Oh. <laughs> I leave the hardest question for last. That's the that's the best no. answer I think. To be fair. <laughs> I think I'm going to leave it at that because um, yeah, you can sit on the fence. I, Don't worry about it. Maybe maybe I, I might support Sunderland. I, yeah. I might support Sunderland. Oh, there we go. For, there the, we go. for the reason that uh, I think that club deserves more happiness right now in this moment of time than the pain that Arsenal are uh, emanating right from. I mean, 
firmly, firmly believe, um, you know, and I'm I'm quite a positive kind of person anyway when it comes to Sunderland anyway, but I firmly, firmly believe that it will happen one day. You know, we will be back. In my life, I mean, I'm, I'm 35, but in my lifetime, we will be back in the, in the promised land. You know, it'll take a while. It'll probably take about... We're going up this year, mate. Uh, I, I agree. I agree. I think... I agree. I think We've definitely started well, and we definitely look a good side. So, um, what we yeah, well, we'll leave it at that one, gentlemen. We're literally at fifty-seven minutes. What we'll quickly do, actually, um, Gary and and Ahmed, we are doing a brand new kind of feature on what a ball ache is starting this week. So we're going to do the baller and the ball ache of the week. So it can be a team, it can be an individual performance. So obviously, the baller is the great thing. The ball ache is the bad thing. So, uh, Ahmed, since you're our guest, we'll have your baller and ballic of the week, please. Oh, okay. So, the ballic first, which is yep. Mbappe to Real Madrid. Oh, um, great job. So yeah. Which is so stupid. Yeah. If I were in an Mbappe, right, and I had a Messi who had just joined in, I'd be doing everything to pick up more tricks for the yeah. next years in my life. I'd be doing everything to pick up more tricks, more understandings of the game, deepen my knowledge, etc., etc. And this kid now wants to go to Madrid because he's not the star anymore. Yeah. So I think that's a huge bollock. Um, the baller show. That's a great show. <laughs> the baller might well be Romelu Lukaku. Yeah. Uh, for coming back to England in a very different shape, having sorted out his medical issues, having sorted out uh, a lot of existential, you know, anxiety, and coming back in, and on your first game, you bullied another top six defence single-handedly. Mm. I mean, Chelsea, apart from apart from Lukaku and their midfield a bit, uh, could have been controlled. Mm-hmm. But yeah. Lukaku made sure that hell no, he's just. Very different. I like how his confidence seems to have come back, you know, um, with Lukaku, because he's not my choice, but but he's very, very high up there, but he's not my choice, and I'll give you the reason for why. But how confident he is now, especially when the the kind of interview after the game, they said, some of your performance, and he went dominant. And I like that. I like someone who who believes in his ability and, and, and can show it off. And can say that, you know, it can be a little bit arrogant because he's it's a good kind of arrogance, if you know what I mean by that. So I think that's a great um I think that they're both great shouts out, mate. I think that's fantastic. Gary will go for you, mate. Um you know, beat that mate. <laughs> <laughs> right. right, so my ball ache of the week is some of the British tabloids. Because, right, and the reason I say that is because a lot of, well, some of the British tabloids, I'm not gonna name names had basically had Jack Grealish as the back page for a, a goal which went in off his knee. And that's not me dissing Jack Grealish. I just think that there was a better goal over the weekend than that. And that was Danny Ings overhead volley. And I don't know why that wasn't publicised more because that was a brilliant goal, in yeah, my honest that's opinion. A um, that's a fair point. But it's because the, the image that is being portrayed now is that Jack Grealish is the new David Beckham. Which that's not his fault by any means. I just think that there was better things happened at the weekend which could have been better publicised, mm-hmm. such as Danny Ings' goal. Or, you know, uh, a, a decent win for Liverpool, for example. But that's just my opinion. Um, as far as baller of the week goes, uh, going to be a shot one for you maybe, but Anwar El, El Ghazi, Aston Villa, right. 
six yeah. penalties out of six scored, and then obviously got a brace yesterday against Barrow, and uh, that Cameron Archer as well. Um, he got a hat trick on his debut. I thought that was uh, interesting, but um, yeah. def- I think for me Anwar Anwar El Ghazi, I think he goes unnoticed. Yeah. Fair, fair enough. I mean, I'll finish it off. Um, I do, I do think Ahmed's ball ache is spot on with with Kylian Mbappe. I mean, can you imagine being a player wanting to leave PSG when they've just signed one of the best players ever in any generation? Is yeah. just absolutely crazy. I think that's a great point. But my personal one will be um, Norwich City. Um, basically, I just think they are absolutely doomed. Um, they've been awful for the first. I know they've got. I know they played Liverpool. I know they played Man City, but they've been so easily just wiped away. And their defence on on Saturday, letting Mares have so much space, you know, letting Sterling have so much space, Bernardo Silva, letting these great great players have so much space and trying to attack City, I think was absolutely just a fool's thing to do. And my baller is Mikel Antonio for West Ham. Um, That's a good one. Mikel Antonio broke the record for the most league goals at West Ham, so he's now the highest. And celebrated by getting a cardboard cut of himself and lifting it above him like Patrick Swayze or Dirty Dancing. Now, that is probably one of the best goal celebrations that will ever happen. That was absolutely amazing. And for a player who was signed as a right back to score that many goals for West Ham, I think it's phenomenal. I think he's been fantastic for them. And I'm not particularly a massive fan of West Ham. Obviously, the Moyes thing, I just can't like them. But I really, really think Antonio is a fantastic player. Yeah, and um fair play to him for that. You know, he's broke this record. He scores goals all the time. You know, he's 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 not always fit, but every time he is fit, he's one of he's probably West Ham's best player. Um and in their team that they've got now, I think they're a very good side. But I thought he was tremendous and he fully deserves that, you know, that adulation of getting the highest scorer. So he'll be mine. Um yeah, but I th- I think they're three. Luke What's that, sorry? How about Luke O'Neill, who's who dislocates his shoulder middle of the game, goes out, puts it back in, comes back in and fights for the red and white again. Yeah, yeah, I, I, it would be up there. I completely forgot about that. <laughs> yeah, he did, he did. Yeah, but we'll we'll see if Luke on. I'm sure Luke O'Neill will get it. Um, at some point during the uh, the season, Gary, with our uh, with our new little feature there. But yeah, we'll we'll finish at that, lads. Obviously, we'll let uh, we'll let Ahmed go get himself off to sleep. Um, thank you so much for joining us, mate, and all the best for you for yourself in the future uh, this season. Hopefully, Arsenal do all right, and obviously, we hope something get, get promoted. And good luck with your uh, your football team that you run as well in in Karachi. Thank you, thank you so much for having me. It was an absolute pleasure, and I loved it. Oh, the pleasure was all I was being. Gary, as ever, thank you so much. Uh, anytime, mate. Anytime. But yeah. it's been great talking to you, Ahmed. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Podcast Network. 
Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.